What's up, principals? And welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. You know me. My name is Adam. Welcome. I'm a principal. I am your host, and this is the podcast that is all about principles and leadership all of the time because that's what we do. Today is another special episode with an assistant principal. I'll tell you, this was not the original plan of the podcast. It was just going to be principles. I've had so many people reach out and say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm an instructional coach and I want to become an assistant principal, or I am an assistant principal and I want some information. So I, me, Adam, I used to be an assistant principal, and uh, this is one of the new features of the podcast. And today on the show, I can already tell because I've been chatting with this assistant principal before the show, and it's going to be a blockbuster episode. I can't wait to get into it. Isaiah Melendez, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this opportunity to share, you know, just my experience, what I know. Yeah, 100%. So Isaiah, man, like the people that don't know you, tell us who you are, give us the rundown, where you work, just kind of, man, give us give us the information. Man, so at my core, I, I am an educator, like I, I believe, like, it's just like, it's truly my identity that I've, I've been immersed in. Um, and I really think that I always tell people, the journey goes back to even my birth, right? Like, I, like I see connections in everything. I'm one of those individuals who I see, who I, I think things don't just happen for um, for any reason. I think there's an intentional reason and there's a design and there's a purpose behind it. Um, born on the South Side of Chicago to a single parent, um, interracial. My mom's white, my dad's black. And I mean, my dad, my dad's story is incredible. My mom's story is incredible. Um, but my dad was being raised by Black Panthers. And this is in the, in the 80s. And they didn't think that this fair skinned baby was my dad. So I never even picked up his name, right? Um, and part of all of that speaks to why I'm even in the field to begin with. This idea that I'm stepping into a void, um, especially for young men of color who grew up with absent fathers. Um, I'm stepping into the void of students who are dealing with identity issues where if they're, if they're biracial, multiracial, or they feel like they just don't fit in. I mean, that's the, that's the leg that I had to walk through. I'm stepping into the void, ready to speak to kids who grew up, who are growing up in poverty and they got to scrap and they got to hustle and they got to fight to just to survive. I mean, that's my narrative. I grew up, in, my uncle was a gang member. I grew up um, in the roughest part of Chicago until I was eight on the South side. Um, Inglewood was where I was born and my mom ended up moving to the affluent district. And that was the first time I realized I was black was when I went to this all white school where kids had access and wealth. And not was I just black to them, I was black and I was poor. And then to a few years later, when we get a home to then move to a diverse neighborhood where there's kids of different back, um, kids of different backgrounds who look like me. But the second I moved there, because one of my house is one of the few houses on the block, the kids didn't see me as um, black and poor. They saw me as rich and white. So constantly trying to fight to find my identity and then to fit, eventually fit in with students who look like, with black kids who look like me, but it's a cost me the academic success I had. I was perfect attendance my first three years of middle school, honorable student. My freshman year, I get Fs and I get arrested for stealing. Sophomore year, I missed 40 days of school. Junior year, 70 days, get arrested again, told it if I'm arrested another time, I'll get a felony, barely graduate with a 1.9 GPA. And to be, to see myself as being an athlete, like this all-star baseball player, major league, um, I'm on the trajectory of doing that. I was ranked as a as a 13-year-old in the Chicago land area, went made varsity my, my sophomore year, but the lack of discipline that I had and the fact too that I had that whole high school experience 
I can't name, I can only name one educator who I felt took an interest in me and he influenced my writing. But outside of that, I don't remember teachers showing up and being happy about the work and being proud to be educators and proud to, to be serving these students and giving them these opportunities and taking a vested interest in who they were. And because of that, I decided to step into this void and that's my unlikely journey to the classroom and to this field and this work. So. I told you that this episode was gonna be a blockbuster. I didn't know that we got a lot in common. I almost did not graduate from high school. I did not know until two days before high school graduation that I was gonna graduate. I had a 2.4 GPA, so not much better than you, but it was, you know, right? Like I wasn't too proud of it. I too was a baseball player and I, I thought I was on that track to go like D1 and uh, it just didn't work out. and. At the end, hindsight, I'm, I'm glad because I actually focused more on school when I was in college. And yeah. I think it would have been fun to be an athlete and, you know, on and on. But, uh, you know, hey, life is what, what it is. So as an AP, as an assistant principal, what is your advice to other people that want to get into leadership. I have a lot of people that are aspiring leaders, a lot of coaches or just teacher leaders or you name it. And they go, how do I, how do I get into an assistant principal job? What recommendations would you give to them, Isaiah? You know, I, I think that is like my, one of my essential functions as a role as an AP right now is to cultivate leadership uh, of teachers and to position them to actually take my position, right? Like um, I had mentors who told me that like, um, the day you step into the role, you're preparing for your exit, right? Um, in terms of how you're leading and how and how you're um, serving kids, you're serving for this stuff to be lasting and instilled. And this idea that like it shouldn't be based solely on you, that there that someone else is ready now to be called up and filled in that role and continue and build on that work. And my wife is actually an educator and phenomenal educator, and she's looking to break into. Um, the world of assistant principalship. And it's a hard jump for some people. There are some people who've been knocking at that door for years, right? And they may have gotten tired of knocking. They have been disillusioned. They're like, you know what? Like, maybe I'm just not meant for that role or that opportunity. And I say that, you know, it. Um, sometimes it, it's sheer, it's being in the right moment. Sometimes it's luck and happenstance. And sometimes it's you hustling and positioning yourself and 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 um, how you're marketing yourself to say, I'm, I, I can do this and I'm ready for this. And I believe I can make an impact for kids. So I talked to people about collecting data, right? Like, um, and especially teachers in the classroom, what are you showing that, that reflects that you are an instructional leader? When, you, when you're teaching in the classroom, how are you moving kids to hit that learning target, right? Do you have the data point that I take it at the end to say that, hey, this is, guys, this is the intention of the lesson. And can you speak to how many students knew or were able to master that target by the time you left the class? How are you use, use, um, utilizing that information to inform and get students to hit the targets on the diagnostic assessments and term assessments that you have? How are you collecting that data and uh, utilizing that to, um, to inform your practice? And to actually like, and then are you, are you saving that? Are you collecting that so that when you step up and there's an opportunity for a position, you're able to communicate that in a cover letter. You're able to communicate that in your resume, um, how you have moved outcomes for kids. So, and there's so many points, right? Like as teachers, we can influence student attendance. We influence engagement, right? There's so many pieces, data pieces that you can bring in from relationships. What other leadership opportunities in the building are you engaging in? The work is so great. It's more than one individual can handle. And, I, and that's what I, that's why I continually share with my head principal, with anybody who hear me. I'm like, we gotta bring all stakeholders to the table. This lift is too great. This work is too great. 
that for any one person to do it. Um, I love to use the image um, from Justice League, um, that the Zack Snyder movie that didn't uh, hit, but it wasn't Zack Snyder's edition. We'll talk about that later. Um, but Justice League, where it shows the image of, of the superheroes, and it says, um, you know, that you cannot save the world alone. And I love that. And I, and I actually use that for my staff to create this image of success that like we all possess powers and we got to bring our powers to the table. Um, yeah. Yeah. As you're talking, there's an older um, public speaker named Les Brown and everybody should just pause the podcast right now and go to YouTube and type in Les Brown, L-E-S. And he's got, he's got so many amazing speeches. And one of my favorite is you gotta be hungry. And he talks about his journey about like, you gotta be hungry. And there are so many things that you need to do with the resume and data points. I a hundred percent agree with you, Isaiah. And at the very end of the day, like you gotta be hungry. And if you want it, it's going to happen. It may not happen when you want it on your timetable that's in your brain, but it's going to happen. So I want to ask you about something that I know you got going on on August 9th, 2014, seven years ago, there was an 18 year old uh, black male named Michael Brown that was shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri um, by a police officer. And I know that there's a program uh, at your school that you do, Be Bold, Be Historic. Uh, I know there's this Michael Brown uh, program. You got Corey Bush coming to talk with kids. Uh, man, tell us what this is, what the program is and what it does uh, for your students. You know, it's, um, so what people, when they think about Michael Brown, they think Ferguson, right? That's it. Automatic association, and if you're familiar with the school districts in the state of Missouri, um, there is a school district called Ferguson Florissant. Um, and Michael Brown did attend that district for a short period, but he actually went to Normandy. And Normandy has actually been in the picture. I mean, like it's a, it's a historic district. It's got an incredible history that's mixed with racial tension and success, and like then just like economic depression. Um, and we exist in the midst of this food desert and things like that. And Michael went here. Um, he was actually part of the alternative programming here, and he would spend his time in the music studio. And teacher, there are teachers here who who remember Michael, and they were fun, and they had those relationships with him. And so when he was murdered and and killed, um, the district had also lost his accreditation that year. And there was so, and then in losing his accreditation, they fired their staff and made those people reapply for their jobs with the state takeover. And there was so much going on at that moment. I actually talked to the superintendent who came in, the interim superintendent, who just recently left. Um, but I, he was reflecting on his journey. And I said, how, like, how did kids deal with it? How did everybody deal with the trauma of Mike? And they're like, you know, like he said, there was so much going on that we just kept pushing. Like they never took the opportunity to acknowledge the loss that happened and, and what that meant for the district. So with the new administration that just recently came in, um, they understood that Michael was an alumni from here. This was the last school district that he attended and graduated from. And we reached out to it. We wanted to do a program in his honor um, for social justice and leadership for our sophomores. And we reached out to his uh, parents because we didn't think it was right to use his name and not reach out to them for their, their support. And his mom actually got back to me and she was um, enthusiastic and um, really saw this as an opportunity to build a legacy for her son. She's already invested at work. She has a, a foundation, um, the Rainbow Mothers Foundation. And um, so we, uh, we, start, we decided that we're gonna do a, a monthly program where we bring in speakers and we inspire kids and connect them with an opportunity. And we're looking to fundraise money because um, we're doing renovations to the campus and we wanna put a, a music studio here in, the, in honor of Michael Brown. 
for all the kids who have dreams of, of, of music producing and artistry and anything that has to deal with media, which he took a great interest in. We want you know, them to step into the Michael Brown studio. And so we bring in speakers, we bring in um, people with just connections and then inspire kids. That's what we do. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing about that because uh, that's a big thing and it's it's not going away and um, just keeping that alive and and uh, bringing those programs together are just are so important for our kids and for our community. Now, I want to ask you, I'm a big reader of leadership books like all the time. Yeah. And I like to ask people, what is your, what's the leadership book, Isaiah, that either changed your mindset on leadership or the leadership book that you always tell other leaders, like you got to read this book. It's going to blow your mind. What's that book for you? Man, I'm a, so I'm a book fanatic, right? Like I like, I have, I'm, I'm a book hoarder. I hoard books um, and I'm constantly buying them. And I, I subscribe to, I was a uh, philosophy and a history teacher um, when I was in the classroom and I subscribe to uh, Francis Bacon, I believe it is, uh, charge it to my head, not my heart, if I'm wrong, uh, which is his uh, statement, which is that some books are meant to be tasted, others chewed and others digested. And so like, I taste books all the time, I'm chewing on something and there's something that I, I'm just digesting. And I, one of the books, as a history person, that was like, just wow and groundbreaking for me was uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, biography on Abraham Lincoln called Team of Rivals. It's actually what the movie Lincoln was about. But Lincoln's leadership in that book, so many transferable knowledge and skills, this idea that he surrounded his, 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 his cabinet and filled it with people who thought differently than him. He didn't need a bunch of yes men around him. He needed people who were going to challenge his thought to refine it. And I actually was talking to one of my um, colleagues today who, you know, I'm on this call with him, talking to teachers about this thing. And it seemed, I'm trying to push to get this practice executed in classrooms across the building. And he, he is going against me with it. He's actually siding with some of the stuff that they're saying, and it's making me harder to convince them. And in my internally, I'm becoming frustrated. Like, what are you doing? But then I'm like, okay, what, like, how can this be a good thing? How's this challenging me to look at how I can refine my message? And it allowed me to actually connect with teachers at a greater level because I had, there was something that I was saying that they were hearing. So and I, and I said this before that uh, there's what you intend, there's what you intend to say, and there's what people hear. And they don't always agree. So I had to reflect back on what I was saying and how I could uh, best express that to them. So another book that really transformed it for me is I talked to a mentor of mine and I asked him, um, hey, I'm getting ready to step into this assistant principal role. I'm only 28 and I'm going to this building with veteran teachers and they've had administrator turnover for the last three years. I'm being told how toxic it is and how there's guns and drugs in the school. Like what book should I read so I can connect with these teachers? And he's like, anything by John Maxwell. <laughs> so I actually go to Half Price Books and I actually picked up this book and truthfully speaking, it actually did transform my practice. It was called Winning with People by John Maxwell and just gave these short little vignettes and I was able to then connect with the staff there. And we had a slogan that year, which Berkeley believes, we draw discipline by 7% within the first two months, so. Nice, nice. Well, I like those recos because I'm a book hoarder as well too. My wife always, um threatens to cut off cut off the Amazon account because I love reading. I love having books around. Now I want to know, like working with colleagues as as an assistant principal in a high school, you know, you got other assistant principals, you got principals, you got deans, you got, you know, department heads. I talk to a lot of people that go, how do I, 
work with all these people. Maybe I don't agree with their leadership style or, or what they do or what they say, but I'm, I'm only the assistant principal. I'm not the principal. How do you, how would you recommend navigating relationships with people when you are a leader, but you're not the principal? It's just like, do you have any advice on that for people? Yeah, I got another book, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, like, honestly, it comes down to the same thing that you did as a, if you're a bomb teacher in the classroom, that can translate as a leader. I mean, I, I don't, for me, there wasn't that much of a, a huge of a jump for me. I mean, I had students that were difficult to deal with and you got all different levels of abilities that are coming in the classroom. But I believe that everyone, those kids had the potential to learn. And I understood too, that if there was something wrong with that person, that it likely wasn't me personally, there's something going on in their life. And it took time. I took, I knew at that moment that I had to take a vested interest in that individual. And I had to build that connection with them. I had to build that trust, establish that relationship by listening to them and figuring out like, what are those things that are going on with them and speak and then identifying what their strengths are and speaking to that each and every day. Who doesn't like to be complimented? Who doesn't like to be told like what they do well and what's great. And when you talk to people and you speak about their strengths, you are able to then incline their ear because they want to now hear more. And when they see that I'm not coming for you, I'm trying to work with you. This is a, a partnership. And when you tap into people's why, and that's my favorite thing to do. When I tap into someone's why, I'm able to then um, get them to do something, not because I told them to do it, but because now they want to do it because I've tied it to their why. So start with why is another book. I'm just going to start dropping books. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I tell people like, if you have a problem with somebody that you work with, try to build a relationship with them, uh, reach out to them, maybe you misunderstand them, and maybe they misunderstand you. And then once you connect and find that common ground in the relationship, maybe it's going to make the work that much easier. And uh, it's not going to be an issue anymore. Now, Isaiah, what's your approach to having a family and being assistant principal and, you know, just being a human being and, uh, you know, going to the gym or doing yoga or whatever, whatever it is in your life. And I, I don't use the word balance because I think it's really hard yeah. to balance all of it, but how do you do it all without getting burned out by remaining happy and healthy? Um, and, uh, and just by not being a workaholic, what's, what's your approach with, with all of that? You know, I, I definitely feel like I've done a better job with it um, at this stage and where I'm at. Um, earlier in my career, it was go, go, go. And it was all investment, like all hands on deck. And the reality for me is that self-care is primary care. And we hear a lot about self-care now, but really it's, it's about holistic wellness. And I actually think that's the purpose of education as well. I mean, how can you draw from an empty cup? You cannot, right? How can, um, I mean, when you're burnt down, you're not good for your kids. You're not good for yourself. You're not good for anybody. Um, and the reality too is that our personal life affects our professional life. And we gotta make sure that things are good in the background at home so that we can be fully invested in this really difficult work. And home's gotta be that refuge for us. Um, so I make sure that I've created a peaceful environment at home. And I make sure that my wife's needs are met and that she, she's um, cared and she listens and, she, and she's heard, but also helps too that she's an educator and she understands the work. I'm, not, I'm gonna be honest, like that helps as well. It, it, could, it can be difficult when, um, you have a partner who may not know and understand what you're dealing with. And I will say that I've been there. <laughs> um, and that's, that's not why necessarily why I have a new partner now, but um, I would say that, the, um, that sometimes the work can be consuming and you just gotta be conscientious about it. Mindfulness is, is, is key. Mindfulness. Yeah. 
mind, that mindfulness piece, I think is huge because there are going to be times when you may be consumed, but just know that it's not going to be like that forever and be able to step out and step away and unplug and turn off. So you can just be a human being. Now, I think in my experience that the interview process is just old and flawed and outdated. We have yeah. a list of 10, 15 questions. Tell us about your 15 point lesson plan and where'd you go to school and what are you gonna do for discipline and all these things. I'm always looking and asking other educators, what is your interview question? Like what's that one question that you really like to ask all your candidates that you're interviewing because you feel that it's gonna, it's gonna reveal something about them that's gonna maybe help you to make that decision if there's somebody that should join your team. So what is your favorite interview question, Isaiah? You know, that it, it really, so I really like to personalize it based off of what I'm actually hearing from that person. And you know that like, you can't really change it. Like we typically have a structure and stuff like that. Um, but I love when they, I love at the end when they, are there additional questions that you have for us? And when they ask us things and I'm able to deliver there, but I always, if I get to influence the decisions of what questions are gonna be asked in the structure, I wanna hear their why. Like I always wanna hear their why. I think the why is crucial. And I, I think because if you got a strong, this work is extremely difficult. And if you got a compelling why, why you're in education, you can bear with any house. It's, it's a quote by Nietzsche, um, the philosopher. So strong enough why you can bear with any how. And I need to hear your why because I'm going to test it, right? Um, and I need to know, and I typically have worked in difficult environments. So um, for me, that why is key because you can love the content um, and you can like teaching, but if you come into the system and you find that like things are disorganized at times, or like, um, the, you know, the, the heat, like I'm in this old building, the heating doesn't work. There are gonna be things that are beyond our control, our locus of control that are gonna make your job difficult. And that's not even, that's not including some of the, ch the challenges that our students bring in, the traumas that they surface into the classroom. And if you're not, if you're not committed and convinced that this work is for you and that, and, and, and that, that, that's strong enough, I mean, you're going to, you're going to bail out and you're not going to be good for the kids and you're not going to, it's not going to be good for staff. And honestly, I think it's going to have, it's going to leave a mark on you. I know that um, my first job time as an assistant principal, we hired this two teachers who look great on paper, right? And then we asked them, they're like, um, the one teacher said that like, she talked about how she worked with students of color at, at this really successful district that anybody would typically love to have a teacher that, that came from. And she talked about how she got results with them there and stuff, our students of color there. And um, she said that for the longest time, she sees herself as a social worker today. And her first two days in the classroom, she experienced anxiety. She was overwhelmed because there were systems that she wasn't, that were absent, that she was accustomed to, that weren't present in this building because we were building them. It was our first time there. And I'm trying to reassure her and encourage her and check in on her every day. And after two days, she quit on kids. And, and I've been in contact with her since. And she says, every day I regret that, you know? And if you don't have a strong enough line, you try to step into this battlefield you can be exposed. So, yeah, why? yeah, yeah. It's all about the why. So we were connected by uh, someone that we know mutually, Dr. Howard Fields. Howard, what's up? Shout out to Howard. And being connected to other people and building your professional learning network is so important for all the aspiring leaders out there and assistant principals and principals that are listening to this podcast right now. What can you say 
about getting connected with yeah. other people that and the people that you don't work with in the same building, but just outside of your ecosystem, just what has been your experience and uh, why would you tell people to get, to get connected? For sure. I think, I think it's powerful. One, um, you only, so I had someone once tell me that um, when, I, when I challenged them, cause I was a Christian and he was of a different Christian philosophy and he was reading, well, he was actually of my Christian philosophy, but he was reading something else. And I, I asked him, why are you reading that? We don't subscribe to that belief. And he says, Isaiah, we only know what I, I only know what I know. I thought that maxim was so profound and so true. And I think that is the case for just anything that we do, that we only know what we know. And until we reach outside of our our, you know, our our area in which we exist and reach out to partner and connect with other people, um, we may be limiting our growth. So I always try, I, I go to I actually go to other school board meetings. I used to go to other school board meetings to connect with the, the leaders there afterwards. Like at the, I will wait to the, and it's a long time to wait to the end of a board meeting, especially if I was like hunting for a job in that district. I wanted to know the internal workings of what are they doing? Bro, they that is dedication that you're going to go to a school board meeting of not your district. Cause yeah. I don't know too many yeah. people that like to go to school board meetings. So I did that for my the assistant principal job that I landed. My first job that I landed, I went to the board meeting. I remember sitting there and they were talking about this school, about how, how, how like, how out of control it was. And it was the school I actually ended up being at, right? Um, but then I also was doing my research on their website and reading about the background of the superintendent. And here, true story, true story how it went down. Um, I had taken off of work one day from a charter school that I was working at to get my car worked on. And I went to Panda Express in um, where I live, which is at the school district that I was trying to apply for. It was closer to home. And I went to apply to get there and they had an AP opening. And in the line at Panda Express, I see the superintendent. And I could tell he was a superintendent because he was dressed like no one else, like just to the nines, right? And has this like really, like, like a, a Tom Ford suit. Um, and I go up to him and say, hey, are you the superintendent of this district? And he says, I am. And I began to just tell him my story. Like, this is where I'm in education. I want to do this. And, and I'm telling him about how, how bad we need to reform it and, and the urgency of the situation for, for students of color. And I'm, what I'm impressed about what he's already done. I did my research on him, right? what I'm impressed about what he's already achieved in his district and why I want to work for him. And he says, change takes time, profound statement for me at the time. And then he said, remind me of this conversation and send me an email. And I did, we set up a, a conversation, we talked um, and it was just about our commonality. And then I told me, he told me to apply, submit my application. I didn't hear anything for two months. So I thought they forgot about me. I kept calling, they said, stop calling us. We will call you. Um, and the, I actually went to work in this district so bad that, um, I was looking at a social studies position there and it was a lateral move for me. And I don't typically make lateral moves, um, but I was willing to do this to get in this district because I want to work with this man. And the second I submitted my application for the social studies position, I was notified that I had an interview for the AP position. So I interviewed for both the social studies and the AP position in the district simultaneously. And of course it was offered the AP and I took it. Dang. Yeah. School board meetings, go to educational events. Um, yeah. You know, just any place where educators are gathering, go there, mix it up. Even your graduate graduate programs. That's where I built a lot of connections. So I have a book recommendation for you. Uh, I want you to write this down. It's called yeah. The Third Door. And it's a true story. It's about a guy who was in maybe medical school, if not business school at USC. And he just did not like being in school. He did not like college. True, true story. He got tickets to The Price is Right. He stayed up all night 
the night before, did not study for his finals, and he figured out how to, how to game the system so you get called up on the prices right. Well, he got chosen. He won like $35,000 in prizes. He sold everything, and then he used that money to basically travel the world for a couple years, um, writing a book, interviewed Bill Gates, tried to get Mark Zuckerberg. Isaiah, as you're talking, I think you're, I've read this book three times. It's such a good book. And it's like, don't give up, keep hustling. And like Les Brown says, you gotta be hungry. Um, All right, so the president calls you, all right? The president calls you and he says, Isaiah, I want you to come to Washington DC and I want you to be the new secretary of education for this country. What do you do? What are your priorities for public schools across this country? You know, um, I think I think it's important to first listen, right? Um, I know of the landscape in Missouri. Um, and for me to then go ahead and take this um, knowledge that I know of this, of, of this locus, of this, of this area, when I haven't really had opportunity to travel outside of this area and, and kind of figure out what the experiences are of other educators and where successes are happening, but I would listen. Um, and I would, um, I would partner with some uh, other brilliant minds of educators to, to identify what our priorities would be. I wouldn't come in and say like, this is what we're going to do. Like I have an outline. I think um, you gotta go on a listening tour always first, um, assess uh, the conditions of the, the issues that are happening. And from that surface up, what is that the issue of priority? Um, it'd be pretty impressive if the president called me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't call me Biden, I'm not ready. Uh, especially this president, but yes, 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 100%. Um, you know, I don't think people listen enough. I always, I've been saying for a long time, you can't know where you need to go unless you know where you are. And you can't know where you are unless you're visible, unless you listen, unless you ask questions and build relationships and get out there and, and just see what's going on. So I think that's just awesome advice. Well, Isaiah, part of this podcast is amplifying the voices of my guests. So I'm going to pass the microphone over to you to close out this podcast. What would you like to say to all the aspiring leaders, assistants? principles and principles that listen to the principal crew podcast look i mean i'm not going to tell them anything that i don't think they already know but i'm just going to reaffirm what we um and i often i often believe i actually believe that that we don't uh, it's very rare that we actually hear something new um versus being reminded of things that we already know to be true so this is what we know to be true that the the field of education is a noble profession and that this work this is a, a work of sanctity that the learning institution is a is a, a sanctified uh, construction. Um, I would just challenge uh, your listeners to continue to be hungry and to do what's in the interest of kids. I mean, I, I keep it real simple. Um, I have nothing to necessarily promote outside of the fact that um, we got to put students first. We got to tear down barriers of that uh, cause disparities um, amongst amongst our students um, and, and great. Uh, create opportunities for greater access to success. Um, my story is a testimony to that, um, that when you have an opportunity, when you get when you get opportunities and access to, to just people who believe in you, I think that's just key right there, right? Like the efficacy is like, I'm doing my dissertation right now and that continues to service as the, the leverage point for, for literacy outcomes, for teacher, for teacher outcomes in terms of them being able to, to deliver and and to meet the needs of students and even for principals is to build that degree of efficacy 
Um, and part of building that degree of efficacy is, and I heard it over and over again today for some of my students who are artists. I said, what brought you into your art? And when I heard them speak, it was when someone else recognized something that they did and complimented them on it. And I think we got to consistently do that for one another. We got to recognize where we are excelling and compliment one another on that. And let's uh, bring that, I call it strength-based pedagogy into the schools more, you know, um, strength-based pedagogy. So uh, that's about it. That's all I got. Isaiah Melendez, it's been awesome talking to you, my friend. Um, maybe we'll have to have you back on the show down the road when you get that principal job and uh, we'll see what it's like as a brand new principal. Uh, hopefully that happens for you. I know that will happen for you uh, very soon. And uh, everyone listening, thank you as always for listening. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, connect with Isaiah. And as always, I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.